You're listening to Classic Movies Live, a show where we talk about movie history as it's happening. And today, uh, we are talking about movies that came out earlier this year, uh, in 2020, that may, in fact, have affected the entire movie, the entire uh, theater industry going forward, movie theater industry. Not necessarily the film industry, but the movie theater industry going forward. Today, we're going to talk about Trolls World Tour and also Scoob and uh, just sort of what those movies mean. They came out, they're not currently in theaters, but um, potentially in a freak scenario, we may not have theaters soon because of these movies. So get forward, so uh, look forward to that. Um, So for Trolls, that's the first 37 or so minutes of this podcast. Uh, I believe there um, there are no spoilers, you should be good. Scoob, that's the remainder of this podcast. So that's that's gonna have spoilers. There's no way I can talk about Scoob without spoilers. So there you go. There's your warning. You are about to hear, I don't know, some pop music from Scoob, I think. There's it's it's a little well no, we're gonna do here's here's some music from Trolls because it's very specific to the movie. And therefore, since we're reviewing the movie, it technically counts as something we can use. So here is a song from Trolls, but probably not too much of it. Bonjour, folks and fellas. Today, uh, we're going to talk about current events here on this show. So, uh, at, at risk of dating ourselves here, we are recording this in 2020, and I don't know if uh, I don't know if people are aware, but um, if you're if you're listening from the future, there were some major things that happened in 2020 that resulted in, among other things, there not being quite as many movies this year, specifically. This is the first year since 2008 without a Marvel movie. Uh, I guess we'll have a moment of silence for that. But I mean, there was there was like a moment of dead air. That'll count anyway. uh, So at the beginning of this whole thing, there was uh, there was people were kind of figuring out uh, studios were kind of figuring out, like, how are movies going to what's going to happen with movies going forward? Uh, Because all of the movie theaters shut shut down for the summer which obviously, um, but like every movie that was supposed to come out in the summer just kind of couldn't then, or like they either got delayed. Like the first thing to get delayed that I remember I cared about was fast and the furious nine. Uh, if you're a longtime listener, you'll remember we did like an entire hour and a half, just where half an hour of it was talking about, uh, the fast and the furious lore, um, in the wake of that. um, what else was there? Yeah, so Fast and the Furious, all the summer blockbusters just didn't happen or got pushed. Most of them now into next year. Uh, originally, I think like 
Black Widow was supposed to come out in November, but now that's next year too. Uh, and then some things, I guess, uh, what they start, what what a few studios thought about doing, and eventually committed to more was releasing movies on video on demand. Um, it seems like kind of an obvious fit for little indie movies. Of course, the little indie movies are also made by people who absolutely under no circumstances want them to not go to theaters. So those still all went to theaters or got delayed until they could. We're still waiting to hear about the green Knight, for example, but I digress. But, uh, one of the first, Super big movies to go straight to video on demand at uh, at the peril of uh, to to the peril of movie of movie theater chains and um, probably against conventional wisdom as it would have applied to Universal Studios was DreamWorks Trolls World Tour, which we've now both seen and we're going to talk about when we get to it. Uh, Pierre, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you want to? Do you want to elaborate more on the the Trolls World Tour fiasco that happened? Was there a fiasco? I I it, just uh, I know it was going to release, and then it just went straight to to VOD, right? Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, the the fiasco. So I don't know how closely you had followed it, but um, when it went straight to VOD, uh, no one cared right away. But then shortly after, I think within a week. Universal announced that uh, World Tour going to VOD had been a rousing success. Like, I don't remember if they gave numbers, but it uh, made a lot of money. And Universal said, basically, we're going to do this a lot from now on. In fact, in the future, we may, and they were, they were a little ambiguous about it, we may even go so far as to release all of our movies on VOD and in theaters at the same time. Um, obviously, they haven't. Obviously, we're now several months in the future, and they did not, in fact, end up committing to that. But the moment they said that, AMC theaters said we're never showing a Universal movie again, and I think a couple of other uh, big movie chains got in on it and were like, "We will not show Universal theater Universal movies." if this is what they're going to do, which I thought was kind of hilarious because Universal can survive without movie theaters, but movie theaters are going to have a tough time if they lose an entire studio. Yeah, I, I actually didn't know that happened. Um, so they, that's pretty big. I know, I, I've read that Disney is also looking into releasing more stuff exclusively on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Um, now, now that they announced that Soul is going to be straight to Disney Plus without any without any uh, extra fees as well, so there there's just straight up. Did they finally it. announce that? Like, yeah, that they did no extra earlier, fees earlier this week. Yeah, I well, they never said they never. I guess hundred percent like confirmed it, but like they didn't mention anything about it. So I think it's pretty likely that it won't have anything, especially after how Mulan apparently underperformed by a large just margin. Just to uh, quickly finish up the discussion about, or just finish up like the timeline of the Universal AMC thing, the uh, Universal eventually came to an agreement with AMC and um, whichever other theater chain it was that actually has pretty wide-reaching consequences. Even if like this doesn't end up meaning things to most people, mm-hmm. they uh, it they got they came to an agreement where. 
at least that studio, but I think this may apply to everyone. The theatrical window has now been shortened to, I believe, 10 days. It might be 17 days. But what that means is when a new movie comes out, generally speaking, studios have an agreement with the uh, with the theaters or with theater chains that they will not put out their movie on video on demand or on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever for like two or three months. Uh, it used to be a lot longer than that, but then that got shortened and then it got shortened again. And now it's been shortened to less than two weeks, I believe, which is pretty big because that means that like when, for example, when Fast and the Furious 9 finally releases, we, it will release to theaters. We can see it in theaters. But if we decide we don't want to see it in theaters, we probably like there's a good chance that it'll be on I don't know, Google Play or Amazon or somehow we can rent it within two weeks. Yeah, which I personally am not a big fan of, but because I love the movie going experience. I mean, I guess it doesn't change that much, but still, it's like I I think it's a a bad sign in in the grand scheme of things. I think I, I in general don't mind it, but I think... Because to me, this is a sign that movie theaters are going to have to change. I've thought for a long time that movie theaters aren't competitive in the way they need to be because essentially we have like two or three movie theater chains. In the States, there's, I don't know, two or three or four. And in Canada, there's basically two. And those movie theater chains have agreements with each other. They are essentially a monopoly. And that means that like they can overcharge, they can make whatever changes they want. They can basically drive independent theaters out of business. I like the movie, the movie going experience, but anything that puts movie theater chains, like anything that lights a fire under those, uh, under those chains asses is good by me. And I think that's what this does. Uh, Obviously it does potentially bring with it the possibility of, I mean, the most extreme case here is just that eventually, um, we see a shift over to almost entirely away from like the movie going experience, which I certainly don't think is going to happen in the short term, but that is like you said, that's, that's what the signs point to eventually, which is not great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess you're right. It, it could lead to some interesting innovation. It, it's movie theaters haven't really changed at all since other than like maybe I guess you can count online ticketing. That's basically the only change movie theaters have actually seen in the past, like forever since they were invented. So, so like, yeah, I would say that technically we're talking about luxury goods here. But as far as I'm concerned, like I do not really consider movies a luxury good, but I do consider going to the movie theater to be like a luxury. So I feel like basically what I want is if if. If movies are coming, if movies are going to be more widely available, that's great. But then what movie theaters have to do is they have to like, they basically have to change in such a way that they live up to being a luxury again, again, essentially, which they do a little bit. But I find that most of the changes movie theaters make are awful. Um, well, yeah, a lot of it seems to be mostly just cutting costs and stuff like that. Uh, other than the nicer seats, actually, I like I, some of these seats are pretty nice. The big ones. I personally hate those, but that also might just be a nostalgia factor for me because Maybe. where I where I grew up, 
uh, we had an independent theater and that independent theater had seats that were as nice as they could get. But also anytime you're making something that's supposed to seat 200 people, those seats are not going to be fantastic. But to me, it's like, that's the seats that I expect in a movie theater. So for people that are listening in Kelowna, like the Grand 10 has the seats I like. The Cineplex, which has like reclining seats that are automatic and that you could basically fall asleep in, has seats that I really do not like, even though those are technically the more luxurious seats. And maybe they're a little too comfy. That's that's basically what it is. Because I'm like, if I... I don't go to the theaters like if I want to watch a movie and be really, really, really comfy and go to sleep, I'll do it at home. Yeah. Not that I want to be um, uncomfortable in a theater either. Yeah. But it's I, a very I also, difficult thing for me to explain to most people who actually enjoy when they're allowed to sit in a comfortable chair. Yeah, it, it's pretty like subjective. But I, I guess one thing I can say is that Trolls 2 is not a movie I would ever have seen in theaters. If that. I don't know if that really changes anything, but uh, like maybe for if I was a kid, that might be different. Um, but I, I, I doubt I would. I would. I wouldn't even take if I had kids or like I knew a kid and I was babysitting them or something. I don't know. I would not take anyone to see Trolls too because I don't have any experience. But if it's from home, I think <laughs> it's. It might have been very good for them in terms of uh, uh, in terms of marketing and that they were among the first if not the first movie to go straight to vod and um it was an interesting marketing strategy from them so yeah and i i think that like it sounds like we should go into the movie here pretty quick so i won't dwell on this too off too long but i think that having your first straight to vod movie be a kids movie is a really good idea i think that a kids movie is naturally just like it's going to do better almost by default than any other movie going straight to VOD. Yeah, for sure. I can agree to that. Um, and I guess that's why it worked out this way. Um, anyways, what what is uh, Trolls 2 about? Or Trolls World Tour, sorry, not Trolls 2. So Trolls World Tour picks up after the first Trolls ends. If you don't know what that means, that's fine. Neither did I. I didn't see the first one. Uh, Trolls World Tour is about... Um, uh, some some trolls, I guess. Like there, it's, it's it sets up this fantasy world. That's okay. I'm actually going to explain this in a way that what what I thought was cool about the movie is 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 center stage here. So Trolls World Tour imagines a fantasy world with uh, several different races of trolls. I'm going to say races, but like you know, I think like races in the in this in the sense of like fantasy races is fair. They're all trolls, but like some of them have four feet. Uh, like some of them are basically centaurs. Some of them are like basically llamas. Some of them are just humanoids with weird hair. All of them can talk. All of them have strange hair. And I guess anyone can give birth because the babies come out of their hair. Anyway, it's this weird fantasy world with different races of trolls, each of which is aligned uh, naturally with some uh, style of music. So there's the pop trolls, there's the country trolls, there's a smooth jazz troll, uh, only one for some reason. Uh, there's the techno trolls, and there's the hard rock trolls. I don't remember exactly what all six are, but, well, actually, I can probably figure it out. It's funk trolls, pop trolls, country trolls, techno trolls, uh, hard rock trolls, and 
one other jazz. type of troll. Sorry, did I miss something? Was it jazz? Was it jazz? No, because there is the one smooth jazz troll, and I think he was the only one. Okay, never mind. The classical trolls. They had already been wiped out at the beginning. Oh. <laughs> okay, so there's those six races of trolls, and then, like, there's every conceivable subgenre is, like, a sub-race of the trolls that eventually spun off. Anyway, yeah. so it imagines this fantasy world, and within this fantasy world, uh, all of the trolls live very isolated. The country trolls don't interact with anyone else. When the pop trolls meet the country trolls, the country trolls don't even know what they're seeing. The classical trolls only do their thing. The hard rock trolls, like, are pretty insular, I guess. The pop trolls don't even know that the other trolls exist, uh, even though they abducted a child from one of the other trolls. Regardless. Um, so the idea, the main plot of this is that the hard rock trolls uh, have dug back into, their, into the origin story of the world and found out that there's these six different races of trolls, and each of them has a... Uh, string of a harp, I guess, which represents their style of music. And the uh, leader, the new leader of the hard rock trolls has gotten it into her head that if she can collect all six of these strings and uh, like put them in her guitar, she can play the ultimate power chord and rule the world. It's kind of, like the the actual plot is kind of dumb, but it's dumb in a fun way, and more importantly, it sets up a really neat world to go for to go with it. Um, so that's the cool part of the movie, and the rest of the plot is that the main the the pop trolls that are played by Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake have to stop her. There we go. We have gone through the movie. Yes, good summary. Um. And what were your what were your thoughts on it? I loved the world. I loved the setting. I really liked the visuals. I thought they were really cool. Mm. Um, the character designs were mostly pretty good. And I thought that I would love to see stories set in this universe. I don't think that there's stories that I can think of that would be like worthy of another movie. But I like this universe a lot. And like... I mean, I'm always I, I'm, I'm not a very successful DM in Dungeons and Dragons, but like I'm always thinking of different ideas for worlds in the back of my head. And like I can definitely see myself making a making a world based where each race is just like based on its own style of music. I think that's super cool. Um, as for the plot, I thought it was run of the mill. Uh, I didn't really like it that much. And um, it didn't it wasn't very impactful. It was a decent enough kids movie. The basic message was like, some people are different and that's okay. And we can all get along, which is nice. And it was communicated in a way that wasn't like brain dead, but like, it just wasn't that interesting. Yeah, I, I really struggled with the taking it seriously in any way. The, the, a lot of the dialogue was just really, really not good. Um, and yeah. like, kind of cliche. Uh, and I don't think some I, I, I think there's a lot of potential like I liked I really like some of the side characters. I um, think that's where most of the potential was. Uh, yeah. Some of these side characters were really imaginative, uh, actually had some really cool scenes. I think Kelly Clarkson's character like she was pretty neat. Um, Ozzy Osbourne's character was really fun. I mean, he was literally just a one note joke. And so he couldn't have done any more, but like he was cool for that one note joke. 
but the main characters were not that good. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, like when when you cast. Okay, I feel mean saying this, but when you cast Anna, Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake, you're not usually gonna get like the most interesting performance. It kind of saddens because like uh, Justin Timberlake. I mean, I, I believe I believe he has amazing acting chops. He just doesn't really seem to care that much. So yeah. I actually am going to contradict you there a little bit. I don't think that that's a function of casting Justin Timberlake and Anna Kendrick. I think that it's more that Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake are actors who are more willing to do those kind of nothing performances. Because I've seen Anna Kendrick in a lot of roles that for anyone else would be throwaway roles. And with her in them, they're still not impressive, but she's just like naturally charismatic and has fun doing it. Where like in this movie, I don't know, let's, for, let's say you cast Amy Adams as her character. It would still be fine, I guess. And Amy Adams would give it her all, but she wouldn't have a lot of fun with it. And I feel like Anna Kendrick enjoyed enjoys these sort of, less lame movie <laughs> these these more lame roles like, i guess i don't like well like just looking at like like this probably isn't fair but just looking at pixar's casting and um in voice roles at least of recently like i've loved um like like uh, amy poehler in inside out was amazing as well as the, the the girl that played sadness i think her name's phyllis from the office um her name's phyllis in real that, life too I believe. that's right um, those were both like I think amazingly casted. Um, same thing with I think Tina Fey for the upcoming Tina Fey and uh, Jamie Fox for the upcoming Soul sound pretty good. I mean, okay, it might be the writing too. To be fair, I but... do think that maybe not all of it, but at least a significant amount of it is definitely the writing, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it might just be my like kind of um, uh, judging it unfairly in terms of. Like you said, like I, I think Anna Kendrick and Justin Timberlake, it, it it's kind of like it, it feels like cheap, uh, cheap casting if that makes sense. Like in terms of, I think they were both casted specifically because they're both singers in some aspect. Like Anna Kendrick is basically mostly, if not only, known for the Pitch Perfect series that she starred in. Yeah, and um, she had a lot of songs from that. And then Justin Timberlake obviously is like a very successful pop star. And it, I don't love that kind of casting in movies. Like, I, I still remember what, like, Katy Perry was advertised a lot for the first Trolls movie that I never saw. Um, and I think Jason Derulo or something was in it, too. I don't know. It's just, like, bringing in these, like, washed-out stars that, that aren't really doing much anymore, so they get into voice acting. It, it's, like, a lame, like, DreamWorks has done it a lot before, and I don't think it always works. Uh, hmm. especially when the it's not very subtle when this movie specifically about old or uh pop or i guess pop music but music in general even though it seems to heavily trend toward uh, pop music which i guess is for the narrative for yeah reasons so i gotta say sense, but... i kind of hated all the music too like i would have much preferred if this movie wasn't a musical or like i understand that it's literally all about music but like I hated almost every song. Yeah, I that's the thing is like I I never really like movies that do covers unless they can make the song in the movie better than the actual song for, so that there's like a reason to do it if that makes sense. 
uh and that very rarely if ever happens the only example i can think of is like maybe from shrek 2 where they where they're where they're able to do uh i need a hero and um what's that that song at the end it's like the fiesta song i can't remember but shrek, shrek is actually amazing at, at doing covers for some reason i don't know how they do it I would actually argue that holding out for a hero from Shrek is the quintessential performance of that song, even though it's not by the original artist. And like, it's not even by, it's not even performed by someone who is known for singing. It's just that good. Yeah. It's something about just the way it's mixed into, into the sound, like into the, the moment and like it hits all the right notes and it's so, I don't know. It's just, it's honestly just like film perfection. But yeah, see, that's what I mean is like, yeah, that that's when it should that's when that stuff should be used. Right. And uh, that because that act like that went so far as to elevate the original source material in terms of uh, adapting it. Right. Whereas this was just like kind of half assed lame renditions of songs that aren't even like popular now anymore. Like like they're already dated songs in a lot of ways, like. I had a Gangnam Style reference, which like in a kids movie (laughs) for a for a kids movie, they are talking to the wrong generation of kids, I think. Like that's that's from odd. I think I mean, we're going to I'm going to talk about this a lot more later when we talk about Scoo. But there's a lot of a lot of these kids movies that rely on these pop culture. Like, first of all, relying on pop culture references for jokes. Um, unless the uh, the writer is really good, is honestly a terrible way of making comedy. Once again, oh, oh, especially in a uh, a kids movie because um, you can tell that they're trying to make <laughs> references to kids, but the writers are like forty year old dudes. I was that say, don't know what's going on. Once again, the gold standard for this is Shrek because. The only reference I can think of is funny regardless of whether or not it's a reference. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but in Shrek 2, uh, Shrek and Donkey, as they're on their way back to uh, get to the holding out for a hero sequence, they get like arrested by and abused by the cops, which is specifically a re- like, and the show, how they show that, they show that on TV as like nights or something. And it's yeah. specifically <laughs> a reference to cops, which was super popular at the time. And like, I didn't even know that until it was pointed out to me this summer. It's just yeah. funny by itself, too. Yeah, that's the thing. It stands. It stands on its own. And uh, I maybe they were just really smart in picking their references because, like, also like, like it's not only that, but it's just like, because like that whole scenario of uh, uh, people have seen that a lot of just you know like cops throwing people in into cars, right? That's not like an uncommon thing that works without the show right it's yeah that's just police brutality we all know yeah. that <laughs> yeah it's like it's we've heard of it before but like yeah some of some of these references are just uh it's just really obvious that the writers are like oh what what was popular with kids and then they have to think really hard and they're like oh yeah there was that song that that might be good like i think a lot of people like that and then they write it down and then gets into the movie somehow and then it turns out to be a movie that came out when the the main audience for this movie wasn't like even born yet. So exactly. Uh, and it, yeah, because I, I think the only song I remember is Party Rock Anthem, which was 2011. And 
girls i was like trolls just want to have fun that's like a song from the 90s isn't it or the 80s i think i think the 80s but at least at the at least with that one it's so ubiquitous that like i feel like probably kids have heard it now because every writer that, that that's that age and writing kids shows knows that song that's true yeah it's it's kind of that's but a then, reference that's kind of bred into our culture at this point because it's so but then there was also groove is in the heart which was big in the 90s but like once again, that's one that I that would like. It's a song I probably have heard before, but I wasn't even familiar with until again this summer when I watched a YouTube video about it. Yeah, exactly. So just very odd choices. I don't entirely understand where they're getting their ideas from exactly. And yeah, but you know, like I, I guess I can commend the effort in terms of, like you said, the world building is actually quite interesting. Uh, lots of visual story or visual world building, which is very smart in that they don't really need to explain everything that's going on. You get like like when you enter a new world, you can kind of understand where what to expect given the the setting. Oh, yeah. Uh, I got to say, so my two favorite sequences in this movie are a really, really funny suicide joke or not suicide joke, but just like someone is dying and doesn't want to come back to life joke uh there's a worm that's in this movie that like doesn't ever talk he just exists on james corden's shoulder which is my personal hell existing always <laughs> near james corden but whatever uh he he's just there and at one point they all fall into a river and like for a moment he has this worm has a near-death experience which is animated entirely differently where he's like going to the big worm father in the sky and then he gets pulled back into reality and like for a half a second you just see him like really really sad that he couldn't die <laughs> anyway yeah. that's my favorite sequence from this movie There's some, um, uh, okay i was gonna say, i actually really like james corden's character i'm not gonna lie it was i've i never thought i'd say that but his character was actually one of my highlights interesting among, among the among the side characters um uh, sorry i'm just gonna say really quick the other scene i was gonna talk about and then we'll talk about james corden sure um the other my other favorite scene in this movie is when they come to the country town because first off it's the only song in the movie that i actually like and i don't even like country i think i just only liked that song because it wasn't super cringy like everything else they come into the country so into the country town and Kelly Clarkson sings the saddest song that these pop trolls have ever heard in their entire life. And someone literally like jumps into a coffin and dies halfway through the song because it's that sad. But like in that one sequence, they establish the country trolls perfectly. Like they establish exactly what this, what their like country, what their nation is all about who all these people are, what they look for in songs, what their culture is like, and like why they've never met anyone else in one song, which is exactly what a musical should be doing. And so it's like, to me, that's the only song in the entire musical that accomplishes the traditional goal of a song in a musical. Which is? To actually progress the plot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just checking. Or establish the world, and it does both of those things very well. Yeah, that's that is the real beauty of musicals, and I, I that's why like I think um, the cover that covers are rarely a good idea. Damn, I'm going back to the point, but yeah, it's it's like 
unless unless your song can be adapted to the mu the movie and stuff. It's, it's it felt like kind of like the difference between Suicide Squad and Guardians, where Suicide Squad just was shoving in uh, songs for the heck of it at times, and without it really meaning anything to the movie um, compared to Guardians, where I think each song actually like not directly but kind of indirectly progressed the plot in some ways. Yeah, even if the song. Like the song's lyrics didn't necessarily mean anything specific, but the the songs in Guardians of the Galaxy are never in a scene for no reason. Exactly. They're they're always there doing something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, if 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 I, I think like if if this film captured more of that of that magic, like you said, that like um it had at, at one point, then like it could have been a lot more fluid and like if they cut out a lot of the fluff i didn't really love the the drama between justin timberlake and anna kendrick i felt it kind of unnecessary i mean necessary for the plot but i just didn't find it an interesting plot point and it felt a little mm -hmm. forced um i think if, well, they, if, if they cut out stuff like that the whole the whole plot could the whole movie could have moved a lot more swiftly and uh been better yeah, because I think so their main drama was that Anna Kendrick's character was entirely unwilling to listen to other people, which she didn't even realize she was doing. Yeah. And I think that that's a really that was a really interesting way to build that character. But the problem was that it ended up making specifically Justin Timberlake's character feel like he wasn't doing anything in the movie. Because anything that he would say to Anna Kendrick's character would be ignored. And then, and like, he never had it. And James Corden actually, so James Corden's character, as much as I hate to admit that he had a purpose in the story, it actually engaged with, um, I'm going to call him by her name, but call her by her name. Uh, Anna Kendrick's character's name is Poppy. And James Corden's character is Biggie. Biggie actually engaged with the fact that Poppy wasn't listening to him where Justin Timberlake would just like, he would make suggestions. She wouldn't listen. And then he would just go on and make more suggestions or just like follow whatever she was doing. So he ended up seeming like he was completely arbitrary. Like he'd had nothing to do where Biggie, like the drama that was supposed to be between Poppy and branch, which is Justin Timberlake's character was more effectively portrayed between Poppy and Biggie while they were actually there. Yeah, I get that. And also, like, I wish I don't I feel like it didn't tie into the plot as well as I would have liked. Like, maybe if they highlighted this problem before the plot gets in motion with the strings and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, like, it ties in more with the resolution um, it, of, of the entire thing. Then, like, it might have been. And, and like, we add in a little more villain stuff. I thought the villain was kind of like one dimensional. Well, could have used more dynamic dynamics with the main characters. Yeah, I think on paper, most of this movie is really good because the villain's problem is actually the same as Poppy's. Yeah. Uh, but she just doesn't have as much screen time and only has yes men. So yeah. like you get none of that until she specifically says that. And then Poppy's problem is a really interesting one that we technically don't see in most kids' movies. It's just that it's not done well. Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I guess like that idea of bringing a 
a, a, a character trait, like, at, I guess, because it's common, like, you'll see that in a lot of Pixar movies where it's like a character has a flaw, a personal flaw that they have to overcome throughout the plot that, like, really ties into it. So that was there. It's just, I feel like they didn't go the, they, they were just missing a little something there. Yeah. And didn't go the extra mile. Um, but yeah, overall, like, overall Trolls World Tour, um, a decently solid movie with more potential than um that it, it showed more potential than it really offered in the end so yeah, cool. yeah. i gotta say and, i didn't hate it and i kind of thought i would yeah same i didn't hate it that much i, I really thought i'd hate the animation honestly but actually it was probably the most interesting part no the Lots animation is like interesting use of uh 2d and 3d mix and stuff like yeah that because a lot of the scenes were animated like they're all animated using typical DreamWorks 3D style animation. Like this looks kind of like if you compare a shot from this to a shot from how well not a shot, but if you compare a character model from this to a character model from How to Train Your Dragon, it's like, oh yeah, those are the same studio. But like yep. the way this was animated almost looked like stop motion in a lot of places. Like they went for that frame drop every now and then and yeah, it worked out was- really well. I think that was definitely on purpose. Um, yeah. So anyways, I think I'd give this movie like mm, probably like a four, maybe a five. Um, yeah. I I want to say that I would give it a five. I would give it like a really good five. Like it's not a six from me, but it's very close mm, because like average. I like almost everything about this movie except for the main characters and the main plot (laughs) and unfortunately (laughs) the main stuff is kind of what you go to a movie for but i would definitely recommend this if like i would recommend this to anyone who just has like ambient time i guess or who has i think this is a decent enough kids movie like if you have kids if you're listening to this and you have kids and you need something to watch you could do a lot worse than trolls world tour for sure yeah um but there is another movie that went okay uh we're gonna take a quick break but uh you're not gonna even perceive that as a quick break because when (laughs) we come back we're gonna be talking about another movie There's, I, I fixed it. I fixed our technical difficulties. I, uh, so we're back. We're back, and uh, we just talked about trolls, and now we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Scoob. That was another movie that Universal. I think that was also a Universal movie. Um, uh, wasn't it? No, Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers. Yeah, kind of I bar. believe I believe Scoob was the first Warner Brothers movie to go straight to uh, VOD, and it came okay. out. I'm going to say two weeks after Trolls. Yeah, that sounds about right. So this was still sort of in the experimenting phase, but Trolls had already... Oh, it was almost a month after Trolls. A little more than a month after Trolls. So Trolls had proven itself at this point. And so Scoob, you know, Warner Brothers looked at Scoob and said, well, let's just put it on VOD. And I don't know exactly how much it made. Its box office numbers are awful. 
but <laughs> VOD numbers are not reported as box office numbers. So I have no idea. I assume it was probably also very successful. Uh, potentially. I, I don't know why. I don't know where I heard, but I heard it didn't do as well. But which is why well, I mean, we're not getting a sequel. I don't know how what that means for the movie, but so either way, apparently it did 35 to 40 percent. Uh, it made 35 to 40 percent less than Trolls World Tour. Okay, Yeah, that doesn't sound that good. Yeah. So maybe it it is possible that it made its budget back. Yeah. Wait, what, what was the budget? Actually, I'm just. So the budget here is reported as greater than 90 million. I thought that said less than 90 million. I don't think it made its budget back. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> budget, and then you got to add marketing as well to it, um, which isn't included. So, yeah, I, I don't think it made it. But uh, either way, uh, it, it was a, an interesting movie to see, specifically being a Scooby-Doo movie. Um, I will say, entail. for various reasons, I'm a little sad we're not getting a sequel. Um because of what that might mean. And I'll talk about that in a second. But first, I'm going to let you introduce this movie. Sure. So Scoob is a uh, animated adaptation, or I, I guess it's always been animated from the start, but it is a CGI 3D animated adaptation of Scooby-Doo where I guess like we, we get, we're confronted with uh, how Shaggy met Scooby. And we follow them into how they meet Fred, Daphne, and Velma. So sort of the origins of Mystery Inc. And then the movie does a quick time shift. This is all in the first like five minutes, I believe, by the way. And then they do a quick time shift uh, forward to uh, more to, to, to the, I guess, the age they're supposed to be. <laughs> I don't know what age that is. But I think they're I, I guess, late I think teens. Like 20, right? They're, okay, they're like 18, 19, 20 or something. Yeah, sounds about right. And we, I, I guess we're kind of, we're kind of bombarded with the same, with the same out, with the same, uh, I guess I would say start of a Scooby-Doo movie plot that I've seen before where Shaggy and Scooby don't feel very valued in the group. And that kind of sets them off on this weird adventure where we sort of get the startings of a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe. And and through this, we we kind of see Shaggy and Scooby uh, learning to how to uh, or test. I guess they test their friendship and, and they 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 learn how much they truly mean to each other. So, um, uh, yeah, I yeah, didn't really want to go into the the weird stuff because that's kind of. But I guess we should talk about it. The, the Hanna-Barbera I mean, universe. So uh, so that you know, in the intro to this, I did say that this is a full spoiler review of Scoop. Oh, we're just so going... we we are welcome to go straight into spoilers. Okay. I have well, covered yeah, our so bases. I think, like I, I got, I got like the the general premise of the start. But what's what's weird about this Scooby movie is that it is in no ways really a mystery, except for maybe the B plot with uh, Fred, Daphne, and Velma. But that was even saying that is like a really big stretch yeah yeah okay maybe not um so yeah it's a very non-traditional scooby-doo movie in that there's not really a ghost there's not really a mystery they have to solve um it's shaggy and scooby get abducted by or attacked by aliens and then they're beamed up to work alongside i think his name was blue falcon blue falcon and bionic dog 
um, their names? Dy- Dynomut. Dynomut, okay. Uh, and they, and as, as like, because these are us, basically, there's they're superheroes in this, in this universe. And Shaggy and Scooby grew up kind of idolizing them. So we're kind of brought into this weird Tony Stark, Peter Parker-esque relationship where we get Shaggy and Scooby learning how to be superheroes in a way i guess it's mostly scooby um and meanwhile i i guess throughout throughout the movie uh, scooby is seen as a special a special dog and shaggy feels even more useful than before because he he doesn't feel like he has any purpose in the world which is kind of a dark useless but yeah useless yeah (laughs) so uh, I guess that really tests their friendship, and we get some weird stuff where they go to alien worlds, and they—they, they, I think there's a scene in Hell or uh, the underworld that. Yes, there is. And they they fight the the dog of Hades and stuff like that. It's a really messed up movie in terms of what, like, this should not have been a Scooby Doo movie at all, in my opinion. I like. Don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of taking risks and maybe adapting a property differently but i don't this really didn't didn't have to be a scooby-doo movie they were just kind of shoved in there because them them being in this movie really adds nothing to the plot yeah and it felt kind of like a blue falcon movie that that needed scooby's uh scooby-doo's brand awareness to to get to get made into a franchise possibly so we kind of get these two really odd plots kind of shoved together that and characters shoved together that could have been interesting but we don't really care about any of these characters and it it just kind of turns into this weird mess almost almost reminiscent of like batman v superman and that it's 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 a it's a movie that's kind of made to build a cinematic universe but it tries to do so much in so many different ways that it just kind of fails horribly so yeah, yeah. that <laughs> there's not so, much more uh, I could say about that. It's just a whack movie. I'm usually pretty bad about interrupting you here. I was I was holding my tongue because I hated this movie. I hated everything about this movie. I hated it a lot and I didn't like it. And in addition to that, I disliked this movie quite a bit. Wow. Tell me more. <laughs> so like to- this movie <laughs> is a uh it's a stealth um it's a stealth launch for a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe, which is like, that's a universe I'm all about. Absolutely, let's do that. But the thing is, no one has cared about Hanna-Barbera for about 50 years now. And so you got to do a lot better than just shoving these characters in. This movie has the Blue Falcon, which is a character I have personally never seen in anything other than a guest role on a Cartoon Network show. Uh, it has Dick Dastardly, who's one of the greatest Hanna-Barbera characters. And actually, I don't have anything bad to say about him in this movie because he's the only part of the movie I liked. Uh, it has Scooby-Doo. But instead of anything that actually relates to the series of Scooby-Doo, it uses all of the characters and completely ignores what's good about the series what's good about the plots of Scooby-Doo. It doesn't make a Scooby-Doo story. No part of this has anything to do with Scooby-Doo, except for the fact that the characters are there. I thought that there was... So Scooby-Doo is always about mysteries, and there's usually a bad guy that they have to unmask, 
But the point is, like, it's usually not supernatural. Or if it is, that has really, like, real... That has major ramifications. And instead, the plot of this movie is that they all go to hell. And the only way that you can open the door to hell is for one person in hell to be a dog and the other person on the other side of hell to be a person. And they have to love each other very much. And then they can open the door to hell, which makes no sense. And is really stupid beyond that. And also, why is why is Scooby Doo going to hell? That makes no sense. Why would you do that? I like. I was hoping that this would be like a good Scooby Doo mystery, and I actually had high hopes for this movie because the animation looks very good. They translated the style of the visual style of Scooby Doo quite well, but then they made a terrible movie out of it, and. What I want to see in Scooby-Doo movies is like a mystery. Like these are they're they're essentially like proper mysteries for kids. My parents are really into mystery novels, so like I have picked up on it a little bit. And like when I read an Agatha Christie mystery, that's what I'm expecting out of Scooby-Doo. It's like a, a mystery where, sure, not you can, you probably can't figure out everything right away, but the clues are there. Uh, everything is plausible, if maybe a little fantastic. And like, at the end, things get resolved, but it wasn't supernatural. And that's kind of the whole point of Scooby-Doo. But in this, they go to hell for no reason. And also there's superheroes and a caveman and um, aliens. Uh, yeah. So yeah, um, I didn't like it at all. Yeah, I totally see what you mean. There, I, okay, I... There's a lot that wasn't really right from the start. Like, even the very basic stuff, I was surprised. Personally, I, I did, okay, I did like the animation, but there were definitely times where you could tell the it was kind of strained. There were, I don't know if it was just, like, um, my TV, but there were some parts where, like, especially on Alien Worlds, where the animation just started looking really, really cheap, especially towards the end of the movie, uh, with the higher the higher budget sequences, I guess. So... That that was kind of rough to watch, especially like for a a reputable like like this is a Warner Brothers movie. You'd expect them to have more consistent animation um, if that for was sure. indeed their problem. And uh, like the voice acting was distractingly poor in a lot of ways. I didn't agreed. It's hard to say. Cause, OK, I'm not even that big of a Scooby Doo fan, honestly. Um, I think the only movies I really, the only content I've really enjoyed from Scooby Doo is like, I actually love the live action movies. I'm not gonna lie, I you should. Those. They're good movies. They're good. <laughs> and then I, I, uh, I loved. Uh, I remember Zombie Island pretty well. Is that that was like a very, that felt like a very cinematic Scooby Doo movie and so, uh, for an animated movie. I believe Zombie Island was the first, at the very least, was advertised as the first Scooby Doo movie, and like. It probably was in as far as up until that point, Scooby-Doo had never had a movie in theaters and it had had several specials, but that was the first direct to DVD. Like movie. you had to pay for this Scooby-Doo movie. That was the first yeah. time that it happened. Yeah. And Zombie and then, Island is to this day still widely regarded as one of the best, if not the best Scooby-Doo movie. For sure. Yeah. There, there's just something about it that really... Um, brings the stakes up like, and like you could argue that it's kind of odd that they they did uh zombies are like the monsters are real in that right which is a it crazy is odd twist. but it worked for that time and that's it why does. i'm saying like with scooby-doo usually 
the point is that the monsters aren't real and that this is just like what and like to sort of expound on that the ultimate lesson of scooby-doo is that there are bad people in the world and with zombie island it sort of twists it in that the monsters are real in this one and like it still gets a lot of the scooby-doo stuff across but it and it adds supernatural elements in a way that feels like it doesn't mess with the world too much yeah but also has real consequences for sure. Well, that I think that's what makes it feel so special is that those those stakes really up the um, because it, it would already been like a longstanding franchise. Right. So they really needed, I think, to do something that made it stand out in terms of this is why we're making this a movie. And, and that, um, that made it special. What is a little bit interesting, I haven't seen this Scooby-Doo series, but apparently it's like widely regarded as one of the best. Uh, there is a Scooby-Doo series. I think it's called Mystery Incorporated from like 2008 to 2012 or something. And in that one, uh, in that one, zombie, the zombie Island thing, I believe was Canon. And also there were some, so that has like a Lovecraftian twist in the back where Mm -hmm. there are actually some of the mysteries that they solve. There's an underlying mystery that is actually supernatural and the supernatural elements of that show end up like basically um, they they end up making Velma have essentially a personality crisis, uh, like oh, what's the word? An identity crisis, where she's like, everything in my life has been about solving mysteries and getting to the bottom of like of, of ha- always having a rational explanation for things. And right now, we are standing right across from a Cthulhu monster. What am I supposed to think about this? And like, it has like it actually shows her just really break down when um when she can't explain things and so that's what i mean with like if there's ever supernatural elements they only really work in scooby-doo when they have real consequences Mm -hmm. yeah and the the reason i went into that is because this this movie also does not does contain a very real threat technically right but it just does not work in terms i guess there wasn't a mystery um that's what it comes down to yeah maybe like i i feel bad saying that because i don't i don't want to be like this movie was bad because it didn't follow the scooby-doo formula right or the regular formula Um, so i don't think that's necessary but it did honestly like i think it's so ingrained in in scooby-doo that you can't really pull that off unless it's an amazing movie it'd have to be an amazing movie on its own yeah, uh, to make it not a mystery, I guess. I think I think it's fair to say that part of the reason that this movie was bad was that it didn't follow that formula because in addition to not following the Scooby-Doo formula, it followed none of the formulas of any of the characters that it put in. It was just shoving characters into a movie to say that they were there. Yeah, like, like the the whole uh B plot with Fred Velma and Daphne um honestly they didn't have a place in this movie at all like literally no place they had no they had no arc they had no purpose like they don't actually really do anything they technically do something but like that doesn't lead anywhere in it movie, almost so it's yeah waste of time in my opinion so uh my least favorite part of the movie Ant-Man is the scene where Ant-Man just like 
goes up to upstate New York, I guess, and fights the Falcon for no reason. Because all that does is set Ant-Man up within the universe of the Marvel Cinematic, within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It does not progress the story. It doesn't have anything to do with this movie. It literally just establishes that Ant-Man and Falcon live in the same universe. And like, I felt that this movie did that on a movie-wide level. There was no Scooby-Doo plot here. It was just setting up the characters. And so it felt like if this movie got a sequel, maybe that sequel would actually be focused on Scooby-Doo. But if you want to set up a universe, the first thing you have to do is you have to make a good movie first. And in the case of these characters, that means that what they should have done is made a good Scooby-Doo movie or made a good Wacky Races movie or made a good Blue Falcon movie. They have to start from that and not just an hour and a half long plug for every franchise they want to eventually hit in this universe. Yeah, I'm not entirely... I guess the goal was to bring in, like, so that, like, this this one movie would, would bring the other, like, the other franchises to relevance, and then they, they split off in the next movies and maybe cross over once in a while. I, I still, like, it doesn't seem like a great strategy, but... Either way, it just it felt like they were trying to revive Hanna-Barbera as a whole, which I don't think is really possible at this point. I think that yeah. in order to do that, you have, like, it's not possible the way they want to do it. Because, like, back in, early two, in the early 2000s, when Adult Swim started on Cartoon Network, they actually, as far as I'm concerned, brought Hanna-Barbera back into relevance pretty well. The problem is they didn't bring it back into relevance and, like, like wide relevance. Scooby-Doo is infinitely more successful than anything else from Hanna-Barbera ever will be. However, they keep people knowing these characters through things like Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, which not everyone watches, but it's there if you want it, or Space Ghost, Coast to Coast, same thing. These are, fun- these are funny shows that are good on their own, and they incorporate all of those characters. But like, And, and they keep these characters relevant enough that people can usually recognize them sometimes not kids i don't know who this movie was for but like um what am i trying to say yeah i think in general you're right that the i I think you're kind of right these characters will never be relevant again in the way that warner brothers wants them to be you're never going to turn on your TV. It's like your kids are never going to turn on their TV on Saturday mornings and watch the new Blue Falcon series because yeah. Blue Falcon was something that kids in the 60s liked and kids now like probably won't. Just I don't know how you can remake that series in a way that it is both rele- recognizable as the Blue Falcon and something that kids would like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that was... just goes for all of these series. That's what um that you could definitely tell was that there was a big effort to just modernize a lot of them in general too like the whole franchise all the franchises in general like the the hiring of like they got Zac Efron to pre- to play Fred was like that was distracting I didn't like him as Fred for some reason personally and, I liked him because I thought he played Fred really well but also I would have preferred I would have preferred like all of these voice actors are still alive. I don't know why they hired new people to voice them because I found those voices really distracting. Mm-hmm. Zach Efron was the only one that I like really liked. I thought oh, he wow. played Fred really well. Okay. I thought that Will Forte as Shaggy gave it his best effort and he wasn't Shaggy. <laughs> it was pretty bad, honestly. 
I feel yeah. I love Will Forte as an actor, but this was just not it at all. Um, exactly. It was like a very weird. It was like half impersonation, half trying to do his own thing. And it just came out really cringy all the time and I couldn't buy into it. Zach, the reason I like Zach Efron and his role is it is that like I didn't at any point feel like he was trying to impersonate the guy who did Fred Rogers. He ended up having some of the same mannerisms, but it felt to me like he was just playing the role they wrote for him, which was a tall, dumb idiot. And like he did that really well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of Zach Efron just felt like he was like, it was like his own voice and everything. He was not like doing anything fancy with it. So, okay. I yeah. can kind of see it. It might have been because I knew it was him. So that's all I kept yeah. hearing. The but... Casting recognizable. I think that like when you're trying to reboot a series like this, casting recognizable stars. Uh, like recasting your recognizable characters with differently recognizable stars is not a good idea. Yeah. Like I agree. they should have cast these people. If they wanted to recast all these characters, they definitely should have just like cast the cast good voice actors instead of casting hot ticket actors. That's probably where a lot of the budget went to, to the act. Like they probably. had Mark Wahlberg as blue Falcon, which is a very odd choice to me. I didn't um, find that as I didn't I didn't like him that much, but I didn't find that that distracting because I don't know what the Blue Falcon is supposed to sound like, so I don't care. Yeah, that's true. Look, okay, like I wouldn't say he did a a bad job. It just feels like an odd casting choice, in my opinion, and like kind of unnecessary, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, there's not many like there's not many kids that are gonna see a movie because Mark Wahlberg's in it. Um, I doubt many adults are like, hey, Mark Wahlberg's in the Scooby-Doo movie. I need to watch this. Dude, I will watch a movie just because it's got Mark Wahlberg in it. I will not watch a movie that has Mark Wahlberg in it as a voice role because it has Mark Wahlberg there in it. There you go, yeah. And uh, there are some other kind of... Actually, I, I didn't mind uh, Ken Jeong as Dyn- Dynamut. He was actually all right. I didn't mind. He was, he was okay. He was surprisingly good. And... Uh, yeah, so like the voice act, but yeah, voice acting from the start kind of rough. Writing was terrible. Like the dialogue was cringe, like cringe inducing basically like 80% of the time. At just least. really bad. There was some odd, like the, I don't know why they, they wrote in Simon Cowell multiple times, I guess twice in this movie technically. So this which has, like... this, which is the same problem as what we were talking about with trolls. No yeah. one who's watching this movie, no one in this who's watching this movie from the target audience knows who Simon Cowell is. Exactly. There, there was a lot of that in this movie. Also, like a lot of, well, okay, well, first of all, Simon Cowell, even people that knew him, like I, I watched American Idol when he was big on it. I, I don't care about him. <laughs> I don't yeah. want him to be in a Scooby-Doo movie at all. And he, I have, he had such a weird role. He would, He literally incited the main character arcs of Scooby and Shaggy where he shits on them for being useless and then they leave or something. And that's, that's where their character yeah. arc starts. And it's such an odd, like why it's not funny. It, no one, no, like we're not watching. I don't want to see Simon Cowell and Scooby-Doo. And it's like such a cheap way of making, making these characters feel this way, you know, like they could have, they could have done it in a much more interesting way. I gotta say, the most interesting way to do that is if they wanted to, like, 
sure they could bring in Simon Cowell or something, but like if this was a mystery that at the end had someone unmasked and the and like it was a person the whole time, if they unmasked that person and it happened to be Simon Cowell, that would be pretty funny. If that character also just like if the character if they just didn't acknowledge that it was Simon Cowell other than like Simon Cowell. That would be a funny Simon Cowell joke, which I've never heard. I've never once in my life heard a funny Simon Cowell joke, but I think that would be one. Yeah, that that would maybe be random enough to be interesting. Because like, Who knows? like if the character, let's say that the character of the character that they're revealing at the end is some theme park owner or something who's like doing this whole thing to drive up theme park sales or to get people off his lawn. Who knows? Whatever. He has his own motivations as a character. He just happens to be Simon Cowell. And they never acknowledge that other than the fact that his model looks exactly like Simon Cowell and his name is Simon Cowell. But yeah. aside from that, he's his own character with his own motivations. Yeah. That at least that would have been subtle, you know, and not not yeah. sla- you don't it doesn't slap you in the face with this is Simon Cowell now laugh, because it's funny that Simon Cowell's in a Scooby Doo movie. Exactly. So. It's that's because again, that's that's very cheap humor. It's not really that funny. And I was going to say the the better version of that joke is that the voice actor that they cast for that, whoever that is, they just do the same. They just do everything exactly like I said, but then they reveal it, and it's like Casey Kasem. No one knows who that is. It's just that's who the voice actor is. So there is the character. (laughs) That should be kind of funny uh yeah anyways but uh, other other than that like this this also reeked of the whole this is a it, it first of all it reeked of rewrites actually there was a lot of the humor felt very forced in a lot of sense like there's a lot of basically punchlines. i i don't like punchline humor i don't i don't th- actually i don't I, I don't think it's ever really like worked out that well for a movie um because uh, they were just kind of squeezed in like there's I, this it was almost insulting to me. There was this random Tinder joke where Dynamut says to Blue Falcon, you thought Tinder was a was an app for finding firewood or something. It's just like, why why is there a Tinder joke in a kid's movie? Exactly. That's it's the other thing that I noticed. Funny. It's not even funny in like an adult context. And it's just so shoved like like that what he said had literally nothing to do with what was going on. It was like, I think he was trying to say that blue Falcon knows nothing about earth or something like that. And that, that was his way of explaining it, which like maybe on paper makes sense in terms of like script efficiency, but it's just such a bad punchline. Like it's not funny. And there, there was a lot of that throughout the movie. So this it's also like the, for a movie that's already like full of outdated characters, it's already like got like a lot of outdated pop culture humor in it as well with Simon Cowell odd Tinder. I guess Tinder's not outdated, but like, it's not really something I think people joke about in movies. Well, I thought that like this movie had a weird problem where it's clearly directed at kids, but most of the jokes are either like references to things kids wouldn't get because they're not old enough or references to things that kids wouldn't get because they are hopelessly outdated. But at the same time, those very same jokes are things that adults wouldn't find funny because they're not well-written jokes or funny. (laughs) So it's like, 
you end up with a bunch of you end up with this movie that's entirely written. It's like if you had a Venn diagram of people this movie is written for. It's like if you had a Venn diagram of children, Scooby Doo fans, and like the general movie going public. The jokes for this movie are written outside of that diagram. Like they're not written for any of those demographics. I don't understand who this movie was for because everything about it says it's a kid's movie. Well, like the visuals and the fact that it's marketed to children says it's a kid's movie, but all of the jokes say that it's an adult uh, movie for adults. But if it's a movie for adults, it's not very good. Well, yeah, exactly. So it's like a bunch, it, it, it reeks of a bunch of old dudes making jokes only because they they think it'll be funny for children and then it turns out it's not funny for them or the children exactly so because they don't understand what's going on um and that that's not a great sign for a scooby-doo movie in general um like honestly like there's not much to say that's that's just the problem dialogue plot was terrible we didn't need all this stuff in a scooby-doo movie it didn't really show much uh voice acting talent or or really any I guess respect to the main franchise in any way that I found it just honest. I, I'm not even a Scooby Doo fan again, like, but it, I I almost felt insulted by how much it just kind of shat on the franchise as a whole, as as in like, like how dare you call this a Scooby Doo movie? In that mm. sense, I guess one last thing that I do have to say about this before we before we don't talk about it or before I forget is. I did really like Jason Isaacs as Dick Dastardly. Dick Dastardly is one of my favorite villains, like, ever. And I thought he was done a great disservice in this movie by having the role that he had. But I thought Jason Isaacs did a great job as him. Mm. And I would have loved to see an actual wacky racist movie, which will now never happen because (laughs) this movie was a trash fire. Yeah. I'll say I also I actually I didn't mind the character Dick Dastardly. I loved his dog, honestly. <laughs> I don't know oh, why. Yeah. I thought his dog was the cutest thing ever and was like so. Oh, it's funny. awesome. Um and I liked mm, I, I didn't mind Blue Falcon in terms of I think he could have maybe carried not maybe not carried a movie, but I think he was an interesting character on his own and that he's the only one with like like an interesting arc, if that makes sense. I mean, let's be real. This was a this was a Blue Falcon movie. I don't know why it wasn't just done as a Blue Falcon movie. Basically. Except, well, no, I do know why. It's because yeah. no one knows who the Blue Falcon is, and they wouldn't go and see a movie exactly. based on him. So, yeah, like the the whole idea of like he's trying to fill in for his father, but he doesn't really know what he's doing, and he's kind of disappointing his father's old sidekick Dynamite. I, I that's actually kind of an interesting storyline. It's, yes. And it has some focus in this movie. It's not really important to anything, but I I found that mildly amusing. And I think it had more, it's probably the only plot line with any real potential. And I guess that's it. I, I, oh, I will say the one moment I did enjoy that I actually felt a little emotion was the, uh, the scene where Shaggy takes off Scooby's collar when he puts on this costume. And that was actually like a a, a well done moment, even though sure. it really doesn't have anything to do with like the movie in general. But it was it was a cool way of symbolizing that they are losing their connection to each other, and it was kind of a heartfelt moment 
based on like the franchise's history. So I mm-hmm. I just and that but that the thing is like that's that's a very character based scene that doesn't ex- like I just I just wish that's what the movie focused on more was those those little emotions, right? Yeah. That, and that that's what makes a movie and not all the <laughs> it's not fighting fighting Hades dog and closing the portal to hell is not really make a movie interesting funnily yeah. enough so in yeah. fact fighting hades dog and closing the portal to hell is almost insulting to see in yeah. a, a scooby-doo movie as <laughs> you honestly say. in like any movie like i can't it's... see a scenario where that's actually like an interesting finale to a plot so i can see the scenario that i see with that is like a very cheap sci-fi movie like sci-fi being the channel sci-fi yeah that's yeah. that's it yeah, uh so so what do you what do you give this is this a is this a hot recommend or i'll i'll give it a two i I say one's my lowest i don't i don't think i've rated anything zero yet so i think i can say one's my lowest two i give it a two i i didn't again i didn't mind blue falcon i i I, it was a cool and dynamite i thought it was a cool way of uh introducing their characters Okay, not a cool way of introducing their characters, but it was cool to be introduced to their characters, I guess, because I never would have seen them otherwise, so I appreciate that. Um, But otherwise, this movie's kind of a dumpster fire. So I don't know if I'll ever give another movie this same score again. This is a zero. Pure. (laughs) It's pure. No no redeeming factors for you. As far as I'm concerned, all of the redeeming any any possible redeeming factors are outweighed by like are outweighed many fold by things that are bad. Fair enough. I I hated this movie a lot. And every time I think about it more, like the more I think about it, the more angry I get. So like I wanted to give this a 0.5, but I cannot in good conscience it, like, hurts give, it that, give it that good of a score. Okay. Yeah. Understandable. I, for my recommend. I don't recommend it. I suggest you watch Zombie Island or something. Something yeah. uh, a lot more interesting. Or the live act. Just literally any anything else Scooby-Doo maybe. Uh, Scooby-Doo is a watch. great series and you should watch something that stays true to that. Yeah. Or maybe watch this with like when you're really, really high. Maybe that could do it. But maybe. I, I actually kind of doubt that too, honestly. I'd probably follow I feel it. like it wouldn't help. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, all right, there's Scoob, the movie. Oh, next week we're going to talk about something. We're not going to talk about kids' movies next week. This nope. is, we are currently in October. By the time you hear this, it'll be November. But because we are in October, next week we're going to talk about some uh, a, a, a spooky movie. We're going to talk about a horror movie. It's actually the first movie we've talked about by someone from the Cronenberg family. We're going to talk about Possessor. Damn, so excited. All right, what's Jeff, your... what's... Oh. Am oh, I you were gonna the final word? I, I don't know, man. Should we rock, oh. paper, scissors over it? Okay. Three, two, two one. Scissors. One. Oh. Rock. Okay. Well you won. <laughs> so you do it. You do it. Oh, okay. Um, that's the final word.